0: It was uh, very rich in my heart. It ought to be easy for American Christians in our generation to have grateful hearts. Uh, I would argue that uh, it would be nearly impossible to identify any culture more blessed in history, in world history, than is our culture right now for the believer. And I'm grateful, and uh, I'm, I'm sure your hearts are filled with gratefulness. You do not take God's blessings for granted, but... You do have a spirit of gratefulness. But I want to ask you, what should be the extent of gratefulness? How far should it extend? How vast? To what degree? And really, do we have a model, a biblical model, that we can seek to emulate regarding the, uh, the height, the depth, the length, the breadth, the width of being well, of course, we do have a biblical model. We certainly do. The Lord Jesus himself is our model. And we, I want us to look tonight at um, really uh, the infinite extent of gratefulness. If I could retitle uh, this message, the infinite extent of gratefulness, because that is what our Savior modeled for us and what we should seek to emulate. If you'd look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll remember in verses 23 through the end of the chapter, it's reviewing disorder at the Lord's table in the church at Corinth. Paul is scolding them. Um, he is saying you're doing all kinds of things uh, inappropriately. And uh, he is writing them a letter of rebuke. And in, as, uh, in part of that uh, in this text, in verses 20 through, through 23 <coughs> through um Verses 34, he is reliving, uh, uh, as it were, what took place in the very first, the original last uh, supper that is the Lord's table and with the Passover meal. And in First Corinthians, chapter 11 and verse 24, a our text is no more than that this evening, because I want to zero in on that thought. It says, and when he had given thanks, that's it. And when he had given thanks, and it goes on to describe the sharing of the Lord's table there on uh, the, uh, the night uh, before uh, uh, his crucifixion, before he was arrested in the wee hours of the morning, they were observing the Passover meal and the text uh, and when he had given thanks. Now that phrase had given thanks is in the Greek New Testament from the word Eucharist. And uh, a lot of times the Lord's Table by uh, uh, our Catholic friends is described as the Eucharist. And that's a compound word, as you've heard me say before. The prefix is eu, eu, uh, which means good, Uh, like euthanasia, good death, a eulogy, good words. This is Eucharist, eu, and then charis or grace or gift. And so it is a good gift or a good or a gracious uh, act (coughs) from the Lord um, that is being described here. So it literally says, and when... He had given thanks or when he had acknowledged the good gift or the graciousness of God. It's basically saying... That when Jesus prayed at the Passover meal, he was affirming the gracious gift of God in redemption. Now, you remember the Passover meal was observed by the children of Israel um, every year, and it was a time where they reflected back on what God had done in bringing them out of Egypt. That is, that night uh, when um, the firstborn of, of uh, every household was going to be killed, unless there was a, an animal slain and the, the blood was painted over the door post and on the on the on the posts uh, there in the house. And that was a demonstration. That was a statement of saying we're trusting in God in his mercy to pass over this house when he sees the blood. And all who had the blood uh, uh, as, a, uh, as an act of faith that was uh, spread on their door, um, they were passed over and they did not lose the firstborn. And so... Um, Israel being offered freedom instead of bondage, uh, being offered blessing instead of cursing and being offered a homeland instead of being aliens in a foreign foreign land would certainly uh, cause them to have uh, a a heart of gratefulness. Of course, as they reflected back on that, uh, their hearts would be filled with gratefulness. They had been in bondage for 400 years to Egypt and uh, what uh, God had done in bringing them out. And leading them through the Red Sea and it it swallowed up the Egyptians who did not believe. And then they were taken over ultimately to wind up in the promised land. Of course, they would have a spirit of gratefulness as they celebrated the Passover meal each year. Either they did or they were so hardened in their hearts that really they were beyond hope. But likely um, many of them did. That wasn't the case, though. For Jesus. You see, when Jesus ate his final meal with his followers, uh, he was not reflecting back. Uh, That wasn't the focus on what uh, uh, God had done in bringing Israel out of Egypt, um, bringing them out of bondage and giving them a promised land. No, altogether different. He was uh, reflecting, he was uh, really prophesying what he was about ready to experience. And so we see in Christ the extent of gratefulness. To the degree that Jesus expressed gratefulness just before the certainty, just before the reality of some very important aspects of his work. And so I offer three particular thoughts about Jesus expressing gratefulness. As he is approaching something, immediately facing not deliverance from bondage like Israel was, but he was facing denial and betrayal and false accusations and torture and death and the penalty for the sins of others. He himself being sinless. And so the text says when he had given thanks and Jesus distributing the bread and the juice at the table, he had a spirit of gratefulness as he was telling his disciples that he would be offered. So Jesus expressed gratefulness just before the certainty, just before the reality of, first, the emotional anguish in the garden. You see, when he offered This Passover meal, this celebration, it was before he went to Gethsemane. It was while he was in the upper room with the um, disciples. And uh, he had said that the one uh, who puts his hand to um, the bread, that's the one who's going to betray me. And all of the other disciples were were saying, is it me? Am I the one? They didn't even know who it was. They didn't recognize it was Judas. And Peter just uh, uh, shortly after says, I'm never going to deny you, Um, um, though you uh, they kill you. I'll go with you. And Jesus said, yes, you are going to deny me. Uh, very soon. The emotional anguish that Jesus had in the garden preceding that was his gratefulness at The Passover meal. Matthew, Mark and Luke, all three of those gospels record Jesus praying three different times in the garden in the late night uh, following the Passover meal. He had told them uh, and when he had given thanks, he partook of that with them, telling them what he was going to experience. Of course, he knew what it was going to be and his soul was exceedingly sorrowful because of what he was going to face. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Well, if you prayed more earnestly, how were you praying to begin with? How? Earnestly, right? And so he prayed more earnestly and to the degree that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What was the focus of his emotional anguish. It was the knowledge that he came to die, that he was born to die and that he was the innocent lamb of God who would bear the penalty to, uh, for sin. And so he cried out in Luke 22 and verse 42. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. That is the will of my suffering, the will of me going to the cross. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Folks, you see, Jesus was as much man as he was God. He was the God man, 100% God, 100% man, that union of, of, of deity and humanity. And he experienced the same temptations we do. He experienced the temptation to be fearful. He experienced the temptation to be bitter, to want to be vengeful. He experienced the temptation. It presented itself, but yet he was without sin. So don't think this was an indifferent thing to him. Don't think that he was um, beyond the the intense emotional anguish that any person would experience if um, facing the same dilemma. He experienced the same temptation. His heart ached over what he was going to face. He knew Of what the ancient prophecy said, that Satan was going to bruise his heel, Genesis 3.15. He recognized that. And yet in this emotional anguish, Jesus had a grateful heart. Are you picking up on that? That when he um, had given thanks, when he had given thanks in this Passover meal, for him looking to what would happen in the next 24 hours or so, when he had given thanks... He shared this meal with those with him. We're never to be grateful for sin, but we're always to be grateful for the fact. That even though sin is all around us and it seems to be having a heyday, we can be content in the will of God. That's what Jesus was saying. He was looking in the next uh, 24 hours, 36 hours, and he was saying, good gift. He was saying, you caras." He was saying, this is a good I'm I'm thankful for this good gift that is now being played out. But still the emotional anguish in the garden is beyond what we can comprehend. We can only imagine the degree that he suffered in his soul. Secondly, Jesus expressed gratefulness just before the certainty or the reality of the physical abuse of the passion. You see, between the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross... Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. His beard was ripped at. Thorns were crushed into his head. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was cursed. He was lied about and all of the rest. And in this state of utter physical abuse, then they made him carry his own cross to Calvary. When they arrived there, the soldiers pierced his wrists, pierced his ankles with Iron rods that were meant to fix him to the cross. There was unbelievable physical abuse that was directed at him. him. How bad? Well, have you ever seen The Passion of the Christ? I saw it, uh, what has it been, a year or, or, or more, maybe a year and a half ago or so. I've, I don't know that I've ever been to an R-rated movie since I've been saved. I'm, I'm certain that I have not. If, if I have, I, I certainly can't remember. It's been a quarter of a century uh, anyway. Uh, but that was rated R. And it was rated R for one reason. Uh, the, uh, the gruesomeness and the violence and the brutality was beyond really what I would have even guessed uh, Hollywood could have done. But still. As brutal, as gruesome as that movie was, it wasn't as severe as the real thing as Jesus was in between Gethsemane and, uh, and actually being taken down from the cross. And the reason why it was not as severe as, as the actual ordeal and how we can know that it was not as severe is because of what the word of God says in Isaiah 52 in verse 14. It says, many were astounded at thee. His visage was, or that is his countenance, his appearance, his visible form was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. What the prophet was saying was the suffering servant didn't even look human. He didn't even look like a human. It was as if it were a, um, a, a savagely Torn into piece of of meat of some kind of just flesh that was uh, that was horrendous beyond really description. We hid, as it were, our eyes from him. The physical abuse of the passion, but the extent of gratefulness said when he had given thanks. You see, when did he give Thanks before the emotional anguish, before the physical abuse, he looked at the physical abuse and said, "You, Eucharistos, good gift. This is the graciousness of God that is about to play out. Are you all with me? Are you staying with me on this? This is profound. When you measure the gratefulness of the heart of Christ as he is approaching the emotional anguish and the physical abuse. Thirdly, Jesus expressed gratefulness just before the certainty or the reality of the spiritual alienation on the cross. The spiritual alienation on the cross. And I believe this is arguably the most significant of all of what Jesus lost, of all of what he suffered in his mediatorial work as the mediator, as the one who who could rightly grab a hold of the throne of God and who could rightly uh, grab a hold of sinful humanity. Since being God, he he could do that and he could represent God. And as being uh, the perfect man, he could bridge that and he could bring those two together as the mediator, as the one who could bring uh, holiness and depravity together and... uh, uh, Make them friends and no longer enemies. This must be the most significant loss that Jesus experienced because heaven turned a deaf ear to him. Jesus, the ancient of days, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator God of Genesis chapter one and two. The angel of the Lord in the, New Test- or in the Old Testament. This one became sin for us on the cross to the degree that heaven turned its back when he was bearing sin on the cross. This is almighty God. This is the perfect man. Heaven turned its back, as it were, as he is crying out, as he is shrieking from the cross because he is bearing sin. And the holiness of the Godhead cannot entertain sin. And so in Mark 15:34 when he cried out, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" He did not address the divine as Father, as he did 100% of the time in the gospels. He always prayed, "Father, this, Father that, Father" Not my will, but thine be done. He didn't uh, address him. The intimacy of the relationship. Somehow there was a fracture. There was a rupture in the intimacy. And so in a very real sense, beyond what we can understand, the intimacy within the Godhead was severed in that moment. And the son was alone, alienated from his father through no fault of his own. Knowing that on the front end, Hours before it would ever actually take place, scripture says, when he had given thanks. Scripture says that he held up the bread. He held up the juice and said, Eucharistos, good gift. This is a good thing. The will of God is a good thing. And he said that with all the genuineness in his heart, knowing of the emotional anguish, <clears throat> the physical abuse, and spiritual alienation that he would face, it says volumes about the heart of Jesus, and it's a tall order for us as well. For you see, we're called to follow his example. First Peter two verses twenty one through twenty three says, "For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example." that we should follow his steps who did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously for he even hereunto were you called because Christ suffered for us leaving us an example what was the first example that he left us That before he suffered, he said, this is what I'm going to experience is a good gift. That blows me away. I can be such a baby and so petty about the normal issues of life, just the inconveniences and the hassles and all of life that I couldn't even remotely walk a road as difficult as what Jesus walked. And yet he was grateful for the will of God ahead of time. And we can be and must be as well. Because if we're not, then whatever that will is that we face, whatever that do- is on the other side of that door, we open that door. If there's not a spirit of gratefulness, contentment with the will of God, Lord, I am going- I'm putting my hand to that-, that door and I'm opening that door Believing that's on the other side is your will and it's Eucharistos. It's a good gift. It's a good gift from you. Now for Daniel, it was a lion's den. It's a good gift. For Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it was a fiery furnace. It was a good gift. Not that sin is good, but the providential will of God When the believer is in the center of his will, it's good. Amen. It's good. Either that or God is blowing it or he's just he's taking his mind off of what's going on. He's 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 gone on vacation. He's not aware of my life and my plight. Of course, that's not the case any more than it was here with Jesus. That's why the word of God could so emphatically say in everything. Give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I didn't look at the reference for that. It feels like 1 Thessalonians. Anybody know the reference? In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is it? 518. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 518. In everything give thanks. Jesus did that. On the front end. And so what is the extent of gratefulness? What is the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the length of gratefulness? What is this five-dimensional consideration of having a spirit, of giving thanks? It's whatever the will of God is that you're going to face. Maybe the will of God is something as routine as Whatever I set my hand to do, I'm going to do it with all my might for the glory of God. So I'm going to to tackle algebra for the glory of God, the best I know. Or I'm going to lay down my life for my wife. Or I'm going to be a blessing to my neighbor who is not a blessing. Or maybe it's I'm going to pick up from my comfortable lifestyle here. In the Bible Belt in middle America. And I'm going to go and serve in Haiti or in New Guinea. Or I'm not going to worry about getting that next item. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and commit now to faith promise missions. And I'm going to be on board with this. Or I'm going to witness to that co-worker who has intimidated me for some time. Who knows what it is. But whatever that door is and you put your hand to it, and you open it up, knowing it's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, do so with Eucharistos, saying, this is a good gift from God that he has for me. You'd be following the example of Christ, and you can't do any better than that. We come now to a time of observing the Lord's table. When we do reflect... On what he has done for us. You're invited to participate. If you know Christ. If you're born again. You're following him. You love him. And you're serious about. This issue of. Him being.